Welcome to the Radical Departures podcast, your source for startup storytelling. We're your hosts, Abby and Chris. You'll hear informative discussions full of valuable expertise and actionable insight on the issues you face when launching and growing your startup. This is Episode 8 of the Radical Departures podcast. Our guest today is Olga Egorsheva, founder of Lobster Media, which provides an easy licensing service for user-generated content. Olga is originally Russian, got her MBA in Paris, and then went on to found Lobster in London, where she currently resides. In this episode, you'll hear why Olga decided that the stock photo industry was one that desperately needed disrupting, what she values most when looking for new employees, this might surprise you, and why Lobster chose to go with investors rather than grow the business organically. Also, make sure you check out our website, WeStartMedia.com, where you can see her awesome pitching skills on display. So without further ado, here's Episode 8 with Olga Igorsheva. Today we're here talking with the CEO of Lobster, Olga Egorsheva. Olga, perhaps you'd like to give us a quick background as to who you are and a little bit about uh, Lobster, the company. My name is Olga and I'm a co-founder and CEO of Lobster. Lobster is a search and marketplace for social media content, which uses AI to discover and license photography and video from real people like you and I that they post on their Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and other social networks. So the way it works is you just log in with your favorite social network, for example, Instagram, given the permission for other people to legally license your photography. And then creatives, um, advertising agencies, brands, designers can find your imagery and license it from you and you get 75% of all the payments and Lobster gets a 25% marketplace commission and the other person gets a proper royalty-free legal permission from you um, to use your content. Cool. That's really nice. Olga, how did you come up with the idea for this? I was working for a major brand in logistics, doing marketing, and specifically in the Asian market, Middle East, Russia, and working with the image database of the company. I could find mainly Western European or American-centered uh, photography, like American smiling faces and so on. So it wouldn't ring a bell with uh, my customers in mm. those regions. So I thought... Why can't we use the real photography from real people that are there in the city or in the country instead of a limited database of professional photography that tends to be very biased? And then we created Lobster first on just Instagram and Flickr to connect the marketeers with the creators on social media, with the usual people, amateurs, hobbies, photographers, to automate the uh, rights management for big brands that will ask for your permission anyway, but now they had to do it manually, and to overcome piracy on the small businesses side, where because they don't have a tool or knowledge, they oftentimes just take someone's Instagram picture and use it in their marketing, which is uh, technically legal. So now we provide them with an easy instrument to do it legally. 
even some professional photographers I've seen online, uh, you know, people get upset because it is easy enough to take something from, you know, somebody else's content. So it's nice that you've got an easy solution to do it. I mean, for people that are buying the content, how easy is it for them to use it? It is actually an easy licensing tool from the beginning. So you just buy a subscription or buy an individual photo with PayPal or credit card and we manage the license and the payment to the contributor and so on. What we have identified working further on with um, customers is that not just the licensing but discovery of content is a big issue because the search on social networks is imperfect. The hashtags are imperfect by far. And also having to browse different channels like Instagram, Facebook, Flickr, Vimeo, uh, separately is a big pain. So having those channels all together in one search interface and then having realized we need to add AI and machine learning to the platform to overcome the, the scarce data that people add to their photos. We have created a really easy to use and smart tool. So for example, we are tagging the photography beyond the hashtags and uh, descriptions that you put to them. So you just use it naturally. You don't need to describe it additionally. We see through the photo and then we have created some filters based on what marketeer is like. For example, pictures of the similar color palette, of the similar mood. You can upload a picture from your brief or from the stock photo and say, I need something similar but different. Then, because a lot of creatives are working with people photos, and specifically a big, big topic in the past six months is diversity in the photo content. How do we reflect society diversity in photo and video content that we use in marketing and beyond the boardroom? So we have created the people filter so you can see how many persons are in the photo, their age, ethnic background, gender, emotions, and we're working on this on an ongoing basis. Something super interesting that is possible with the help of AI that we're working on is recommending personalizing the photo and video style for every customer who is searching based on his work history. So if we see that you're working with social predominantly and you're working with this and that brand, the search results for you are suggesting the content that would match that style to make it even quicker and easier for you. If we see that you're doing more art, digital work, then we would recommend you those ones. And finally, we overcome the problem of user-generated content or UGC that is well known, that is quality, because the upside of social media content is that it's broad and fresh and authentic and people post 2 billion photos every day. But the downside is that quality is very, very different. So how do you navigate through that? And we've created a machine learning-based ranking algorithm to surface only the higher quality content relevant to your request for your search results without banning everyone from the platform. So the platform is truly inclusive. Anyone can join unless they do something illegal, but everyone can join. But the machine learning then helps 
just curate that automatically at the high scale and only show the customers suitable content, which is pretty amazing to myself as well. Right. You guys are based in London. Where are most of your clients coming from? Where are the people that are providing content coming from? And where are the people that are buying or licensing content? Where are they coming from? I can say we became global from day one and the content providers, the contributors as we call them, the authors, they come really from all over the world. There are quite a few in Europe, in the US, naturally in Russia because Russian press likes to write about us. Asia, Southeast Asia, Latin America, um, I'm proud to say it's really a multinational. For the customers, they come and we come from the key media capitals or advertising capitals such as London or New York, Los Angeles, Berlin, Amsterdam, Dusseldorf, so some of these key cities. However, we have customers that are based in small towns in the US. We have also quite a bit of interest now from Latin America and Asia in terms of uh, agencies, because these are the markets specifically underserved by traditional and boring <laughs> stock photography. The normal stock photography, I always find it incredibly boring. I can't stand it. I forget the names of some of those big ones, but I always find most of the content just very stale and lifeless. Yeah, that's a common notion actually in the creative industry and that's why quite a bit of them are also interested and we have discussions with them because they're looking at whether we could help them revive their databases a little bit because they understand the problem as well. And as I mentioned, more and more brands are looking into reflecting diversity and even Advertising Standards Association is preparing some new guidelines to really keep an eye on how you reflect the gender equality, ethnicity, disabled people, different backgrounds in your marketing campaigns without growing prejudice, which is actually very much of what stock photography has, like those white, smiling, two-parent family. That's always my biggest problem with those traditional stock photography outlets is, to me, they don't look like my friends and family. It's so boring and it's a subset of Western culture that's just not very representative of the broader community and I find it boring. I really dislike it. Yeah. <laughs> How do you really feel? Yeah. Now, Olga, you guys are based in London. To me, it's very typical of modern London in that you're Russian. I think part of your team are Russian. You're based in London. London is, you know, has been a very international city. London is cosmopolitan, more outward looking than other cities in Europe, more so than Paris. Uh, you have a lot more diversity there. Why did you end up choosing London? Why did you go there versus because you did your studies here in Paris, you did your master's here. But, you know, there are other cities, Berlin, uh, Paris. Uh, why London? It's a good question. We were originally choosing between London and the U.S. The reason for that, there are a couple. We wanted to start something international from day one. And these are the places where the environment for
for this is good. These are like, as you said, cosmopolitan places. These are both places that have least bureaucracy in terms of starting up a company and least, I would say, bottlenecks in terms of raising funding. So they are very venture capital reach. Eventually, we compared the, the tax and the simplicity of setting up the company and also the fact that my co-founder, Maria, who is also originally Russian, has already been living here in the UK for three years by that time. And the fact that it's in the center of the world, I would say. From London, you can easily work with Europe. You can easily work with the US. At least the East Coast is not that big of a time difference. Right. But at the same time, we still work with the Asian markets. And it is same as New York. Um, what about key markets in terms of this is where all the media is located, mm -hmm. this is where all the advertisers, marketeers, brands would tend to have their, if not European headquarters, one of the key offices. So it's the easy reach to the customers, easy reach to the investors, multinational community, and the simplicity and lack of major paperwork starting a company that has brought us here. And so far, I'm happy with this choice, actually. Yeah, I think that is generally a big argument. It's a problem here in France that the paperwork can be quite heavy. They seem to be wanting to make changes, but I think there's a long way to go before things are as easy as you have in London. Yeah, and that's one of the, of the reasons I wouldn't start my first office in Paris. I can see there is um, a lot of change going on in the French tax scene, but still there needs to be more simplification in terms of paperwork and also, yeah, I guess nothing even Berlin. I just returned from Berlin. So far, nothing compares to London on this side of the Atlantic in terms of how multinational it is and how receptive it is to and how easy it is to have a, a team of different nationalities. I only have one English citizen on the team and the rest come from all over the world. Right. How big is your team now? We've got, I think, it's always difficult to count because <laughs> we, we grow very fast and we also hire um, interns uh, from time to time. So I think we're... 16 right now. Wow, okay. Uh, part is based, so the headquarters is in London, sales and marketing and uh, strategic management. We have over time located the tech team in Moscow. So one of the co-founders moved back to Moscow. We hired a working space and we grew the tech team to six people now in Moscow doing the back end, the front end and the machine learning. And it gives us access to really outstanding talent, paying them great market salaries, still saving about 60-70% of the cost compared to London, which is actually one of the downsides of the London tax scenes. And I have recently had a, a podcast recording about that because it's, it's very hard for a startup company to keep the development in London as you grow. So many people relocate the tech part of the team either to Berlin or to East Europe very often to the founder's home country where it's easy for them to manage the team even remotely. 
Um, yeah, so that's the other part. And then I'm super happy. Two weeks ago, we hired our two first people in New York. So a salesperson who is employee number 18 at the huge stock company called Shutterstock. So I hope she will help us really grow in the U.S. and Latin American markets and then the marketing person to support her. Okay. So that's the structure of the team. And what do you look for when you're building out your team? In terms of skills, it's very important for the tech team, of course, to have uh, relevant skills and experience. In marketing, um, sometimes we take on board very fresh people, but the key for both is the open-minded approach, I would say, uh, willingness to learn and to take on more responsibility than you're capable of, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I have found out in a startup environment, because you're limited in cash you can pay and you can't really hire these high-level professionals until you're serious A or B. And sometimes you don't want this because you want someone who's got the same entrepreneurial and startup mind as you do. Uh, to be really creative. So you hire people that are bright and talented, but sometimes they do not yet have enough experience for the role you're hiring them for. And the benchmark in a startup for a person is always beyond the current level, which is both exciting and a bit scary for them, I guess. So with that support from the founders, uh, the brightest people, they really make it and they grow very fast and they grow beyond this benchmark and they change their, in their role. And from a need to management position, I've seen people moving in just under a year. So summing it up, I would look most of all for this open-minded, proactive, responsible approach and for what we're doing and for what we're trying to achieve as a company. That's so refreshing to hear because so many companies, you know, they require five years of experience for a starting position. And it's like, where are you supposed to get that? (laughs) (laughs) I actually find intern programs very helpful because when you can hire someone on an unpaid or minimum paid part-time basis and they can prove themselves and without investing too much resource on the management side into them in the first two months, you can see how they work and you can see how they match the team and how they fit the team and how they solve tasks that may be difficult for them. And after these two months, you already know if the person fits the team and then you can hire them full-time and you can really invest your own time into them without the risk that in a month's time they don't prove to be a fit for the company. So you guys have gone on to do that? You've hired a bunch of the interns you've worked with? Yeah, at any given moment we have two or three interns working. Some of them are remote. There is US-UK program that sends interns to work in office that funds that. So there is a a bunch of ways you can do it. Say about 20 to 30 percent of people stay with the company in the long term after the internship. More general question, what would you say has been the biggest challenge so far in starting Lobster and how did you overcome it? 
if you have. <laughs> <laughs> there are always many challenges, which are also the excitements of that world. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess, well, investment has been a challenge. And I would say there is a known funding gap in the rounds that are over 100,000 and below 1 million pounds or euros or dollars. Raising our first 100,000 was, after the demo day at Wairi UK Accelerator, was pretty comfortable. Raising a million that we raised uh, earlier this year was also quite efficient. When we were raising the 350,000, like this medium size of round, without yet uh, significant traction with great product press appreciation. Contributors loving the product, but not really the market traction, needing those funds to get awareness uh, from the first customers. That was one of the biggest challenges. And I always discuss this with uh, some venture capitalists or angel groups in here in the UK. And it's a known problem that raising those um, seed rounds is difficult, even here in London, where there is a lot of investment going on. It's always a challenge, actually, to find good people. I find it specifically difficult finding a, a good salespeople, because that's a combination of sales skills and attitude and the startup mindset that is very rare because the sales positions are in many companies are often very cynical and sort of formalized. And so finding the person that understands and shares the vision, but also has that sales acumen is difficult. And also I found it difficult if you imagine the time scale matching the funding with the hiring in mm. one point is kind of difficult because you're always either raising to grow or hiring to grow with these funds. Making sure you have the right pool of people available straight away as you have commitments from investors is a tricky time management skill, I would say, because then you don't have time for finding them, but you can also hire them before you get the money. So, yeah, it's an interesting task to solve, but I guess we have learned to do it by now. Yeah, it seems like it would require a lot of juggling. I can imagine it's really something difficult to work out. Yeah, and that's some people say, call it fake it till you make it. (laughs) It's like believing in your vision and sharing it and making sure that you can prove it with past traction, but you can also make sure people believe in your future traction. And that relates to both investors who are investing in your vision as much as in your traction and team. Employees that have to believe in what you believe you will be as a company and customers that also have to have a certain level of trust in something new that you're doing or something new that is yet to come. So it's a lot about, about the vision, actually. That actually brings me to something that I was thinking of beforehand, and it's really one of the reasons why we were keen to have you on the podcast, because we met you at a pitch competition here in Paris 
It was at the, the Google offices with the American oh, Chamber. Wow. And I mean, I've been with startups for years. I've given a million uh, presentations. I've seen a million pitches. I've seen all this stuff. And I have to say, your pitch is, is one of the best. It's really good. I know I was thinking, oh my gosh, Olga is truly one of the best presenters I've ever seen. You really have that as a quality skill, you're really good with that. So I can imagine between your conversations with investors, but also with employees, that has to be quite powerful because you're really good at that. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your feedback. I hope so, but there is always room to improve. And in communications, there is always, always room to improve. I would say in terms of public speaking, I could totally recommend any first-time founders specifically to join an accelerator because the pitch trainings and pitch battles and all the critics and coaching that you get in an accelerator is just great value to learn to how to pitch your startup. So yeah, that's an important thing for anyone learning to pitch. It's true. I do think it's an important skill. Perhaps sometimes people that are especially technical tend to undervalue it and think, well, it's all only about the product. But I do think, uh, while you still have to have a really good product, I do think it's a really important skill to have. And you certainly absorbed what people told you and you really translated that into a great pitch. I mean, you really are good with that. Uh, in fact, for our website, I'll have to find if you have any pitches that are on YouTube or something, because you really are good at that. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, we do have some videos of the pitches and conference panel discussions as well. One of the recent is not an investment pitch, but a customer pitch. We were invited to Cannes the biggest advertising festival that's become more of an ad tech festival as well. So it's an amazing place. It's very expensive, but there are some uh, people like RGA, the agency, and their venture arm that select 10 startups and they fund the tickets and the hotels and they connect you to people like Unilever, Snapchat, Samsung, do the one-to-one -one mentorships, closed room discussions and then you pitch at the Palais where the advertisers get their awards. It was amazing. We could, first, the agency creative director helped us revamp the pitch deck for customers and then pitching in front of the audience that is genuinely interested in what is the technical innovation in their industry, in the advertising and marketing industry, was one of the best experiences in my life. But I can send you the video pitch so you take a look at it. That would be great. I think that that, is, uh, that can often be very undervalued. You talk about raising money uh, so some of the companies we've talked with have been growing organically. Others uh, are raising money like yourselves. Why did you make one choice versus the other? What led you to say, we're going to raise this capital versus building it organically? Right. So I guess when you want to build something that requires scale and you build in a marketplace, your best bet is funding. First of all, 
in the marketplace. If you think about it, you have to first not only get the product out, but attract a certain number of the supply side of the contributors to even start going out to customers and earn your first money. So growing a marketplace organically is almost impossible. I would say maybe there are some exceptions. For example, like local marketplaces, hyper-local marketplaces. And secondly, yeah, if you're trying to build something global and you try to grow organically at the same time, you might, and I've seen that and I've had those discussions with some fellow founders where they found themselves in this situation even with the external funding, but small funding. And then they had to go back to their board and investors and ask for advice on how to change the situation because they tried to grow as organically as possible, focusing on the small revenue bringing sub-segment of the market instead of spreading the word everywhere and growing global awareness and building more tech when it is required. And they found themselves building a small business instead of a tech startup that is scalable. So they found themselves just connecting, for example, a community of Manchester hairdressers to Manchester local areas, customers, and initiating discussions and so on. But that didn't become scalable at that moment even though they have had early customer traction. So you always have to be careful how to balance uh, organic growth and uh, the ability to show the investors that you've got paying demand with the focus on what you want to achieve in the long term and what you're doing for it right now. For you, what source of advice do you think is best? Do you find talking to other startups? Do you find talking to people at these accelerators or your funders, when you're trying to come up with ideas for issues like this, where do you go to kick around these ideas? I would say early on uh, that totally the accelerator community. So the staff of the accelerator, uh, fellow startups, especially when they organize like a sort of pain point sessions where every founder shares a problem and others together with the accelerator coach try to help them find a solution. And it turns out everyone has the same problem. <laughs> right. You wouldn't imagine it. Because you think it's just a, the issue in your startup and your own thought about it. They are very similar across young startups. Then later on, this becomes more of fellow founders or higher level founders or people, inspiring people that you may meet and discuss some high level issues that you might not be able to find the solution to yourself, like the strategic ones or the team ones. For me, it was really inspiring to meet some of the SoundCloud guys in Berlin couple months ago considering the situation they were in it's really interesting to get those insights on, on how you go about the strategy and the team and the management it was very inspiring to meet the spotify founder daniel elk at kind lions and people like this and then also as you 
grow, I would say getting your customers as your advisors is very important or, or people who worked before in roles that your customers are working now. I've met a few really, really inspiring people that used to manage uh, UK branches of the largest agencies and then working for small creative agencies and they know it inside out and they're ready to give you the advice and to give you the opportunity to bounce ideas off them. And because they're not working in the industry right now, but maybe more advising startups or uh, doing investment themselves, you don't have the temptation to sell to them. So you can openly like say, hey, with you, we're still working there. How do you advise going about the procurement department in the agency and all these things? It becomes really important to get your customers as your advisors. So, Olga, something we like to ask everyone we have on is how would you define success? And that can be personal, can be professional, however you think about it. It's also a very good question. For me, personally, but professionally, <laughs> but personally, because I don't tend to say this is for everyone. I know it's bringing scalable new thing to the world and giving others the opportunities they haven't had before. This can be an example of lobster. They contributors in creatives that didn't have this opportunity to connect uh, before they had lobster and to transact between themselves on the global scale. Or it can be also the teams you're working with, people you're hiring that might not have realized their potential before can be the community that you're talking to and, and sharing your experience and managing to bring that new opportunity to others and getting your, I wouldn't disregard the financial success by any means. So managing to bring the new opportunities and change while also getting the financial success for yourself and your family and your closest ones in the long term, that's probably maybe separated an entrepreneur from a monk. Is purely <laughs> for the, <laughs> for the, a mission. Um, yeah, that's my twofold definition of success for myself. I think that's great. Thanks. Well, Olga, we really appreciate uh, you joining us today. It was really interesting. I think you're in a cool space, and and I love even following you guys on Twitter because I you guys are celebrating. You know, there was National Dog Day. There's all these things, and I love that kind of stuff. And and the content is really cool. It is much more real. It's much more interesting than anything that's been there before. And but in addition, I know that both of us really enjoyed our conversation with you before, and, and I think you have a lot to share, uh, so we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the conversation as well, and, and I'm happy to share some insights if they're useful to others. And for the Twitter, I will pass on your compliments to the marketing team. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Vanessa, I think it's Vanessa, and she's done good things on Twitter. I love following your Twitter feed. <laughs> Yeah, there's Vanessa, but then there is Alina and Lisa who are also working with the community and choosing those trends and funny days and content for that. So I'll give your feedback to them. I'm sure they will be happy. 
Excellent. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. That wraps up another episode of the Radical Departures podcast. Thanks for listening. Support us on Patreon. And join us next time on Radical Departures.